0: I am not the Christ. And they asked him, What then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, No. So they said to him, Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, Then why are you baptizing, if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan, where John was baptizing. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel." I've got one job this morning when I have that honor of coming up here to preach. One job. And that is tell you the truth. Preach the truth, the whole truth. Nothing but the truth. And that's it. Entertain? No. No. Register you to vote? No. Motivate you to vote? No. Make all of us feel good about ourselves? No. Give some good career advice? No. One job tell the truth about God the way it is in Scripture. we've got a job as Christians in this world that's the same. Tell the truth about God in the setting where God has put us. In the text this morning, the prologue is now finished. Uh, John 1, uh, the first 18 verses are are, uh, about uh, the setup and and getting ready uh, for what the rest of the book is about. We had our summary. And now we get into the text. And there's longer narrative passages. Uh, you could take 18 weeks to talk about those 18 verses and, and, and not exhaust it. Um, but here we go. We've seen about God, we've laid out the, the basis of the, of the verse uh, or of the, of the book, and now we get into this text. And, and the first uh, few chapters talk about one week. One week in the life of Jesus, the first week is laid out. Uh, Somebody pointed out, and I had not noticed this, they said, uh, really right here in John, uh, there's uh, so much laid out, just day, it says the next day this, the next day this, the next day this. John seemed to pay attention to time and and how things happened. Um, Mark, if you remember, just by contrast, uh, has that word "euthus" immediately and immediately Jesus went here, and immediately Jesus went there, and somebody said, that's like an action movie. Uh, here is a little bit more slower and deliberate and laid out at even the time spots. And so you see on this first day when Jesus' public ministry begins is where we're at now. At the end of the first week, if you look at the chronology, is Jesus' first recorded miracle. So we're on that first day. I would like for us be able to do, well I know we're able to do this, I would like for us to do what we're able to do and put ourselves into the time period uh, of when the text is written. Think about what it must have been like. The long silence between the end of Malachi, the last prophet recorded and those 400 years between the Messiah's appearance. 400 years. You know, if you're not numbers oriented, to go, that's just a number to me. But if you think back 400 years ago, just looking at our nation's history and what you know about it, that would put us back to the year 1663. I think things have changed uh, since 1663 to now. We were riding, and my, my travel companion over the last couple of days, Paula, <laughs> we were driving through the rain, driving through the traffic, driving through all that, and she said, I wonder what somebody that went in a covered wagon like Laura Ingalls Wilder, if you could pop her into history and put her in here, what would she say about that? And I said, she would probably want the bears and the, 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 the dangers in the covered wagon because this would be kind of scary, I would think. 400 years is a long time. And 400 years waiting for the Messiah, 400 years saying we're going to be saved, All this scripture that we have, that we believe, think of handing down the faith from generation to generation for 400 years. We say, boy, they were a religious mess in the New Testament. But (laughs) I don't know. Uh, You look at it from just secular human eyes, uh, they did pretty good, I think, to, to maintain what they did. And they still had the scriptures intact, and they still were thinking about a coming Messiah. Well, now the Messiah is here. And along, first of all, comes John the Baptist to stir the pot, to shake things up a little bit, to get them thinking about their sins. He said he came to prepare. So we want to look at John this morning, three points, uh, with the question, who are you? Who do you think you are? How do you describe yourself? Um, what i tried to do and hope to do is as as John's being asked that question, I want us to think about us being asked that question as not the same as John the Baptist, but as people with the same commission as John the Baptist. Who are you? Who are you in your witness? Who are you as one who uh, is a forerunner of sorts to people who don't know the Lord at all? So three questions. Who was John and who are you? Answered in point one by who you are not. Second one, who is John and who are you? Answered by what your job is as a believer. And finally, the most important question, who is Jesus Christ? That John described and that we describe to a world that needs him so desperately. So first of all, they came and they said, who are you? Who are you? Verse 19, they came, Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, says later they're from the Pharisees, who are you? And they came. He was, something was happening. People were going out to him to be baptized. Uh, You see in the other accounts, there were Roman soldiers out there. There were uh, uh, just a wide spectrum of people. They were all coming out there. And he was baptizing them. And when something starts to stir, people either are threatened by it or they want to capitalize on it. Uh, people don't change. You get them. You know. Uh, now we talk about influencers. And that, that's part of our language in this digital age. And so, uh, an influencer happens. Maybe we can get him to promote our party or our politics or our our, our thoughts, and then pay him or her a little bit, and we can. Capitalized because there's a buzz and a stir, and people are trying to create buzzes and stirs around. Uh, uh, so many people, believe it or not, they dream of, of shooting that one little video that goes what? It's our language. It goes viral. John the Baptist was going viral for that culture. And they had to get out there and say, what's going on here? Because we've got our power base here. We've got our structure here. Somebody's outside the lines. We've got to know what's going on. Who are you? Who are you? He was outside their system. They hadn't approved him. Maybe they needed to demonetize him. Maybe they needed to cancel him. Maybe they needed to chase him away. They needed to do something because the system was all one way and he was outside of the system. Who are you? There might have been some there uh, even among that group who were genuinely interested, but others weren't. It says, ooh, they were from Jerusalem. They were from the big center of culture. They were were where it flowed down. They weren't Rome, but boy, they were their big fish in their little pond, and, and we need to swallow this fish up. Who are you? And I said it here, The application is we think about our own selves and our own uh, beliefs, our own true identity as Christians. There's a world narrative that everybody follows. And if you're a Christian, you're not following that. You've been plucked out of that. Jesus said there's a broad gate that leads to destruction. There's a narrow path that leads to heaven. Few there be that find it. You're not just another little subculture in this world, although you are a subculture in this world as Christians, but you are God's people. And people will be checking up on you to make sure you're not too weird, that you kind of means just not. don't be too weird. Don't be too out of it. Who are you? Who are you? Make sure you follow a little bit, kind of the orthodoxy of the world. And there are two religions. There's Christianity, and then there's not. And then there's various denominations within Christianity that we see. And true Christians do things different on on some of the uh, lesser issues. Uh, We we look at Scripture, but true Christians have one common identity, and that is they are people who have been saved uh, and who've repented of their sin and have been saved by, by putting their faith in Jesus Christ, and then there's all these denominations in the world, and they're all part of the same church, and it's not god's church. John first of all answered rather than saying who I am, I would say, "Well, you know, my dad was Zachariah, my mom was Elizabeth." Uh, maybe you heard the story about how I was uh, conceived, how i my mom couldn 't have kids and God and I would tell my back history uh, john uh, didn 't John just said, "Listen when they said, "Who are you he said i 'm not the christ let 's get this straight from the start verse twenty i 'm not the Christ, not claiming to be the Christ." I'm not the Messiah that's been foretold. I'm not the Christ. Uh, There would have been some hope. Some people would have wanted him to be the Christ. Boy, we, we need a Messiah. We need someone to follow. That's why so many false messiahs rise up and we follow them. Certainly he was doing some things that were godly, and there was some God power, there was something going on, things that were unheard of with people coming and, and, and repenting and being baptized uh, out there as a sign that they were sinners and needed cleansing. So there was some stirring and they recognized that. But he wasn't claiming to be the Christ, not the Christ. Well, then who are you, they said. Who are you? Are you Elijah? Are you the prophet? Are you? Who are you? He said, no, I'm none of those things. None of those things. Personal application for us as Christians. Um, Fact of life. You're going to be questioned. Live for Christ, you're going to be questioned. You're going to be watched. Uh, You live for God in the workplace, and and, and people at the very same time, they want you to succeed as a Christian because they want to believe there's some kind of truth and some kind of hope, and yet they want you to fail so they can can say, uh, see, they're just like everybody else. They're no better... And so uh, there 's this mixture in people that i found when I was out there working, and they they wanted they wanted you to to make it, but not make it as a Christian. I know people that left uh bad magazines out there for the Christian to uh see while they were walking to their do their job at their desk or in their warehouse, and they would stand around the corner and watch that Christian man. And his temptation. And they wanted him to fail, and yet they wanted and were happy when he succeeded. <laughs> it's crazy, but it's true. I've seen it with my own eyes. You're going to be questioned. People are aware. Not many people live for God these days. And when somebody sticks their neck out and says, I'm a Christian, I'm going to live for God. That's a curiosity, and our cynicism is such. uh, The the scripts of the the TV shows and movies that are made have flipped in the last however many years, and, and the Christian is always the hypocrite and the evil one and the immoral one. But they're watching. Why would they make such a big attention to what the Christians do if they weren't curious and watching? And they say, like they say, John the Baptist, who are you? And John's answer is instructive for us. And we don't preach just total moral examples from the scriptures, as if that's all the scriptures are about when they are about the saving power of God. And yet there is a way prescribed for us to live, and the Bible does give us biblical examples. And Paul did say, follow me as I am following Christ. And so we can look to John for an example. That's not the final point of the sermon, but if you're a Christian and you're you're being questioned on who are you, well, look to John and, 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 and right away get rid of whatever... Uh, temptation to have a Messiah complex you may have I'm not the Christ I'm not God oh it's the funniest story I I love this this little sentence when uh, and I think it was Clement Attlee but it was one of Churchill's political rivals and they're all sitting there in some room somewhere and he's in council with his cohorts and the man walks by and he says there but for the grace of God goes God. And I'm like, that's pretty clever. People think that they are God, but thank God they're not God. Everybody who wants to be God, that wants to rush in and be the Messiah of the world and the Savior of the world, there but for the grace of God goes God. Or we say sometimes, who died and made you God? And here's the answer. God didn't die, and God is God, and God is not going to die. And we only have one God, and we only need the God we have. I'm not the Christ. Don't think because you are inspired even and you do something good that all of a sudden you're you're God. Even people that take care of their families and provide, um, uh, people who who do good things, It's not you who's doing it. It's God using you, whoever you are, to provide. So the starting answer to who are you as a Christian, even as God is using you to make your mark in the world, is I am not the Christ. I'm not God. And I would say this, even as a church, we must not take on a God complex. We are not the ones who can feed the entire hungry population of Danbury. We should do what we can do to feed. And when we see a need, we need to do it. But God can use and do, but we are not God. We're not the ones who can fix every failing marriage and help every helpless child. Wish we could. Wait a minute, did I just say I wish I was God? Maybe I should say it this way. We're not the ones who can do that and I'm glad there's one who can. And, and I've got to do what John the Baptist did and say, I'm not the Christ, but hang with me a little bit and I'll point you to the Christ. We're not the ones who can go to Hartford or to Washington, D.C. and pass legislation that will turn this wicked world into heaven on earth or our version of what heaven on earth should be. people who are to tell the truth about Jesus and to not be pretentious and think that we are God when there's one God. So a start to fulfilling this great commission that we have, uh, which is similar to John's uh, commission to tell about Jesus, a start of it is admitting and confessing who we are not. So who are we? Who was John? Who are we? as Christians called by God and saved by God. Verses 22 through 25. So they said to him, who are you? Asking, him, who are you? Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us, they said. What do you say about yourself? And here was his answer. I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. They'd been sent from the Pharisees, and they said, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? Back to what John said about himself. I'll tell you who I'm not. I'm not the Christ. I'll tell you who I am. I'm a voice crying out here in this wilderness, getting you ready for the one who you need, for the real God who's here in your midst. The voice of one crying in the wilderness. Well, he was geographically out there away from the center. But it seems to me that he was talking and describing the wilderness, not about the terrain on which he was standing at that time, but that he was describing the world that he was called into and born into as nothing but a vast wilderness. And he's crying out in this wilderness of the world. It was apt for him to say that, but just like Peter said in Acts, save yourself from self from this crooked generation, and John was called into a world that was fallen—a world of power-hungry people, a people who will see would not hesitate to kill Christians if they were a threat to them. People who uh, hated God. People uh, that was a world that was filled with demons who were possessing people to do heinous things. And that's not unlike our world, and we're called into a world to do something, and I, it's got to be more than just endure it and take the blows and, and stagger in to heaven. It's got to be. It's got to be. Why did God call us as Christians and then leave us here? And why, what was the point of the Great Commission, a version of which is in every one of the Gospels, not just in the more famous one, Matthew? Why did he say that? why are there phrases like the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few? If I could go back and have my confession time, I might take that and say, God, you got a few hours? All the stuff that was so shiny and so vital and so important, all those opinions, all that junk, which Paul called uh, rubbish in his polite way, or the polite way it was translated. He didn't call it rubbish in a polite way. It was translated rubbish in a polite way. We went over that. All of this stuff, it doesn't matter. I was thinking about this, and, and I, I started typing it all out in the text, and I said, oh, just tell him to turn to the passage, and let's get get the whole, whole of it. So to tie in talking about this wilderness of a world and this fallen world, not all of it is bad. And normally in the pulpit, when I say not all of it is bad, I start talking about good things, you know, and and I I, I want to to make sure we don't just hate the world. And I usually talk about baseball, but with the Cardinals nine and a half games behind the Pirates right now and and the Cubs even ahead of them, I can't even say that's good anymore. It's all bad. The world is bad uh, when you can't even like baseball. Um, No, there are good things in the world, but there's a distinguishing that the Bible makes about the things that we present and do with our lives. And so if you would look at 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 15 for a moment. 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 15. We're thinking about the wilderness that is the world. The mission of the church. The John the Baptist calling that we all have. And what happens. So 1 Corinthians 3, 8 through 15. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. This is all the part of, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase, talking about the mission of God's people in his church. But he goes on to say this, for we are God's fellow workers. <laughs> well, I know who's going to get employee of the month every single month. If God's my co-worker, I'm going to give it to God, <laughs> but um to think of being God's co-worker, God's fellow workers, if you've not thought of it like that. And not as slaves, not his, uh, his uh, uh, people for him to boss around, hey, co-workers, You're God's fellow workers. You are God's field, Paul wrote to a local church. You're God's field, God's building. He writes, according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. This is Paul saying that. Someone else is building on it. Paul didn't stick around. Uh, He went to this congregation. He cared about this one. He went to this one. And he built, and somebody else came along and built. He said, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Key verse, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, Old King James says wood, hay, and stubble, uh, but wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest or will be made known, for the day will disclose it, day capitalized, meaning the day of of judgment, the end time when it's, it's all looked back on and evaluated, the day will disclose it, Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple? This is different than God, your body as a temple. This is talking uh, as the way we sometimes describe it in a personal way. He's saying, you church, you're God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he's wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. And John the Baptist is out there in the wilderness, and he's declaring that he's not the Christ, but he's getting them ready and pointing to the Christ. That's who you are, Christian. a Christian, you're a man or a woman with a significant role to play in pointing people to God. If you're a Christian, you're a man or woman with a significant role to play. You've got a special, sacred, holy calling that you did not have before that you have now. My old guy that hired me way back at Frito-Lay, and he was taking me around and training me at at first, and and he became then a real big wig. But at the time, he said to me, he says, Dave, if you're ever in a position, and you're in a position to hire, he said, here's our first question, our first thing to listen for. He said, people come up all the time, they say, you got any work? He said, don't hire the people that say, you got any work? Somebody comes up and says, do you have a job? Yeah. That's the person they want a job. They want something significant. Um, as a Christian, well, you got any work? You get out there and you do God's work. You get out. No, you've got a job. You've got a unique calling. You're a unique person, and you were saved and transformed. But you've got a place. You were born uh, into a circumstance. Uh, you've you've got a, a a sex. You've got a a social standing. You've got a personality, you've got what God made you, and you are exactly who God made you. And boy, we don't like that because we don't like God. We want to change all that stuff and think we'll be happy. Not happy, not going to happen. But you are who you are because God wanted you to be who you are. And when he called and saved you, He's done just have work for you, he's got a job for you. And it's good work. It's the kind of work when you get done with it, you go to bed tired, but it's a happy tired. The greatest being, the one and only that we talked about last week, the incomparable, the unique one says, I have a job for you. Rise and follow me. I'll make you worthy, and I'll make you fishers of men. So establishing and having established who John was not and who John is and who you are not and who you are, it's time for the most important question. And that is, who then is Jesus Christ? And that's verses 26 through 34. Let's just start with 26. Um, He said this. John answered them, I'm baptizing with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me. The strap of whose standal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. One who you don't even see is in the midst of you. One who the world does not even see is in the midst of them. Through God's Holy Spirit, Jesus is present. The world sees Jesus as what? What? a caricature or as a curse word we see him differently so i had to train this guy one time i got funny stories about this guy this guy had a, had a, quite the um he was passionate for god that's good but he embarrassed i had my circle k managers and i'm trying to be a christian in this fallen world and i'm trying to do more than just earn my 10% off every bag of Doritos that somebody bought. So I'm trying to pop and lace my bags and do all that. But I'm also aware that the people around me aren't believers and, and my convenience store managers. And I, I did pray for them. I'd pray for them when I'd get back on the truck. I'd, I'd, uh, God was using people like John MacArthur and Chuck Swindoll to, 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 to preach to me on my, my little boom box in my truck as I drove around Pensacola. And I was in this store with this woman, and I just thought I was going to be so godly that 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 they would, she would ask me about being a Christian. And that's good. Jesus did say, "Let your light shine before men, in such a way they see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven." But my strategy was to be winsome, and my strategy was friendship evangelism, and I don't think I ever would have gotten to that. I would have been winsome all the way till judgment day, and then. When I'm in with the the sheep and I see them over there uh, heading into hell with the goats, I might give a winsome smile and say, hey, sorry it didn't work. But I wasn't strategizing to actually tell about Jesus. Well, this guy was the opposite. And I tell you, he was a nut. So this woman's over there. She's checking my order in. And some fall, some kid knocks something over. And under her breath, she says Jesus Christ's name. But, no, but 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 in, in an imprecatory way, as a curse word, as a common curse word. And this guy said, Jesus? Jesus is here? Where's Jesus? Did you say my Jesus is here? Where's my Jesus? And I'm like, oh man. Uh, how am I going to cover this one with her? Um, uh, well, I've thought about that. I've interpreted that. I got read as a beat. I was worried about other things he was going to say, and he did say other things, and yet you, you think about that, and you go, okay, maybe his way was wrong, but part of me looks back and says, I wish I could take some of his boldness for Christ and some of his saying Christ is a real person in some way, somehow there's, there's a way to talk about Jesus and he at least had the boldness and I was a nice guy and I think maybe I was trying to convert them to me and not to Jesus. If you think about it, uh, what are we to do? How do we evangelize? Are we supposed to? Yes. The world says, no, don't proselytize me, don't tell me. Well, sorry. Somebody's on their way to a flaming death and you don't warn them because you want to be a nice guy and say goodbye on judgment day when the great separation happens? Think about who are you, who are you not, but who is Jesus and how are you... uh, Consciously saying, I'm going to obey and tell about him. John said, I'll tell you something about this Jesus. He's great. He's the most worthy. Compared to me, I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. And yet, when you stop and think about it, John counted him worthy enough to be the messenger and the forerunner. Jesus counted John worthy enough to be the message and the forerunner. And you might say about yourself, I'm not even worthy. Well, you're right. You're not worthy. I'm not worthy to carry such a great message uh, of of hope and forgiveness and God and be God's voice. And yet, uh, in our own strength, we say that. But but God says, you know what? You are worthy because I'm making you uh, a vessel that can do that so maybe um, don't use as an excuse that I'm not worthy to carry this great message. What did he say about Jesus? Verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not behold the Lamb of God who's a really, really good example for you, we all just tried to be a little bit more like Jesus and put a little bracelet on that said WWJD, and, and we could get people to, to to do that. We can all do that. Uh, somebody said WWJD, what it really stands for is Willy Wonka just died. And I thought about that when uh, the guy who played Willy Wonka in the movie, Gene Wilder, died. Somebody else said, no, it means we want Jack Daniels. And you can come up with some funny WWJDs. Um, listen, we're not here to say live a moral life. Uh, If you live your life by WWJD, all you're going to do, if you're honest, is be frustrated, and if you're a liar, you're going to think, I'm pretty Christ-like, aren't I? The message about Jesus that John told that we tell is, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. There's Jesus, and there's everybody else, and Jesus uh, is the one and the only one who can take away the sin of the world. John was out there baptizing. His baptism was different than our sacrament of baptism. His baptism was a baptism like the Essene uh, people did. Uh, people would go through a time and they'd say, I just know I, I need to turn over a new leaf. I need to go on a diet. I need to go on a diet from sin. I need to, I need to repent. I need to do something. And he was showing that, but he couldn't save and baptism couldn't save. But he said, Behold the Lamb of God. And then he goes into this long, um, good explanation. Uh, you want to find the Trinity in the scripture right here about the spirit and the voice. And it's even clearer in other passages, but you see the one who sent me saying, the one who the dove descends on, and the spirit descends on, that's the Son of God. And you get all Trinitarian right there. And that's good, just one more of many places. We talked about this in our Kids Sunday School a couple of weeks ago, about where we see the Trinity in the Bible, um, and that's our message. And finally, he ends up with this: "And I have seen, and have borne witness that this is the Son of God." And that's what we say: "I've seen, I've borne witness that this is the Son of God." And God does the saving. God does the working. Uh, we're we're all we're all biblicists here, meaning. Uh, Biblicist is code word for Calvinist. We're, we all know who elects and who saves, but we also know this: that we get to be part because God wants us to be of what He's doing in the world and drawing people to Himself. Final application: one, establish in your own mind who you're not. Don't flatter yourself. Don't usurp God's role. You can't do it anyway, so don't even try. Uh, Just realize he's God. You're not God. Don't try and be God in your family. Uh, uh, You can be God-like. You can be Christ-like. You can love your wife as Christ loved the church, but you can't be Christ. You can't die for her sins because you've got a mountain of your own sins that, that, that somebody else had to die for. So don't. So establish in your mind who you're not. Establish in your own mind who you are as a Christian. Saved, we used to sing, saved, saved to tell others of the Christ of Galilee. Saved, saved to tell others of the one who sets men free. Be a vessel that God uses. Now in the world you, you hear people say, You're just a tool, you're just a tool. Don't be a tool. Don't be you're just somebody's tool and, and tool in the world's usage. When someone calls someone else a tool, they're calling them stupid and incapable of thinking with their own mind. Like a typical tool, such as a hammer, they have a purpose, but someone uses them for that purpose. The same fact can be applied to mindless people. So a tool is an insult. But here's a fact, and you better get your ears open. When somebody calls you a tool, they're trying to get you to be their tool. That's just the way it is. Uh, When it comes to God, don't we want God to use us? As an effective vessel, sometimes we say, "Make me a vessel." God, you're doing a, you're doing your work. You choose to use us. Old Finley used to say, "Sometimes God uses a crooked stick and a warped a warped stick to to accomplish His purpose." And that's us. But listen, when it comes to God and His great purpose in the world, I want God to use me. I want to be God's tool. Don't you? Because the greatest being in the world and beyond the world is God, because God sent Jesus in the world to seek and save the lost, because you're one of the people sought by Jesus and saved by Jesus, and now he says, join me in my work. Let me use you, your circumstances, who you are, who I had you even born to be, your personality, all of that. Be with me. Let me, let me use you to share the gospel, and that's a good thing and i'm not going to say god's just using me wow 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 i'm going to say wow keep on using me till you use me up as somebody sang once and finally i say this establish in your own mind who jesus is and what jesus did and you can't just do that in your own mind you you use in your mind you you settle on the facts but you got to find the facts outside of yourself and you go to god's word and you say Person and work of Christ. If that's what it's all about, that's what it's about. So, who are you? Now, you're unique, you're fearfully and wonderfully made, you've got a background, a circumstance, and all that, but who are you? Well, you're not God, and you are in all of your wonderful uniqueness and your situation. You are someone who God has saved. You are someone who's repented of your sins. You've put your faith in Jesus. He saved you, and, and He's He's not just the boss of the universe and not just your boss in a in an indirect way. He's your He's your God. And He says, Go into the world, tell people about Jesus. Live your life in such a way. Bible tells you those things, so that's what we do that's what we pray for that's who we want to be as a church. Um, we want We want to hold up Christ as as the king as as the Savior, as the Lord. we want to hold up Christ, the shepherd as a shepherd who loves his sheep, and we don't want to just keep it inside. Closing in prayer. Lord, thank you for our calling. Thank you for the answer that John gave to who he is. Thank you that as we look at all of the scriptures and the scope of our life, we get a, a better, more full answer of who we are. We thank you that we are your sons and your daughters, saved by you, called by you. You've got that place here. Building for us up in heaven, and when the time comes, we we go there. And you, because you want us to go there, and you take us there. But until then, Lord, we thank you for the work, the job, the occupation you've given us here on this earth. We pray that you'd help us to know um, uh, when to, to to be quiet and pray, when to be bold. But we pray, Lord, that we wouldn't cower. We wouldn't try and make ourselves. God or make this even about ourselves, but that we can tell the world who you are. We thank you for being a good, loving, saving God. In Jesus' name, amen.